Saturday, November 11, 2017. Welcome back to the I Own College Basketball Podcast. I'm in New York City. Matt Norland is here with me. He's at home in Connecticut. And last night, the college basketball regular season got underway. Finally, we have games to talk about. Finally, we have results to discuss. And the biggest surprises, I guess, uh, probably number 25 Texas A&M destroying number 11 West Virginia without Robert Williams and J.J. Caldwell. And, of course, there was Indiana State winning 90-69 at Indiana to spoil Archie Miller's debut with the Hoosiers. Number 5, Kentucky got pushed by Utah Valley, but won 73-63. Number 19, Northwestern got pushed by Loyola, Maryland, but won 79-75. Number 21, UCLA uh, beat Georgia Tech late last night in China. Bruins are supposed to come home today. There's no indication LiAngelo Ball is going to be with them, and it was a, a good night for at least two uh, heralded freshmen, namely Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton. Bagley, he got 25 points, 10 rebounds, and number two Dukes went over Elon. Ayton got 19 points and 12 rebounds, and number three Arizona's went over Northern Arizona. Meantime, fellow stud freshman Michael Porter Jr. barely played, just two points in two minutes. He tweaked a hip, was held out the rest of the game for uh, what Conzo Martin said was precautionary reasons. Regardless, Mizzou still beat Iowa State 74-59, and if Missouri can beat Iowa State by 16 without, uh, by 15 rather, without Michael Porter, um, that's probably a good sign for Missouri and probably a super bad sign for Iowa State. Some big individual performances. North Dakota's Geno Crandall, he got 41 points and a win over Troy. Former Illinois guard Kendrick Nunn, he's now at Oakland. He got 36 points and six assists and a win over Fort Wayne. Jordan Murphy, if you're looking for a high major guy or at least a, a, a power five or a power seven guy. Uh, he got 35 points and 15 rebounds in number 15 Minnesota's win over South Carolina Upstate. Meantime, USC announced they're holding out DeAnthony Melton because of the FBI investigation. Oklahoma State announced they're holding out Jeffrey Carroll because of the FBI investigation. So, Norlander, there weren't a lot of, at least on the radar games, that were great games. There weren't a lot of upsets outside of, or at least relevant upsets that, that you know things that matter or like make you pay attention on a national level outside of the ones we mentioned um but it still felt like a lot of stuff happened on Friday night if i made you i don't know the editor of USA today and i said the sports page has got to have a college basketball headline at the top but you can only put one college basketball headline at the top what was your college he- basketball headline from friday um question thank you the biggest takeaway from friday i i would probably do the uh the all-encompassing notable freshman performances and then tag in porter's basic no-show to injury i think you're exactly right by the way that is that uh, that was that was uh, it for me too because bagley listen it's number one duke bagley goes out puts up 25 gets 25 and 10 sets the freshman Scoring record for a debut, beating. Uh, do you know whose record he beat? By the way, I don't know, but I do know exactly what you said uh, because I said it on TV probably about four or five different times last night. No freshman history of Duke freshman ever scored more points or as many points as Marvin Bagley scored last night in his debut. But I'm not sure who holds the record. The record was 23 points by Shavlik Randolph. How about that? I was going to guess Kyrie Irving for some reason, but uh... Shavlik Randolph. So uh, Bagley goes out, does that. And listen, Elon's actually supposed to be a pretty solid team in its league, but let's not get it twisted. It's Duke at home playing Elon. But I was wondering how Bagley would look, how he would factor in, because if you want to just go to super recent history, 
even though these players were dealing with coming off of injuries, uh, Giles, the big man, uh, even Marquise Bolden last season, Jason Tatum, Frank Jackson, all the Duke freshmen last season, they didn't come in just roaring out of the gate. Bagley did. I mean, he looked like everything you could have possibly hoped that he would look like. Just no rust, completely ready to dominate. Um, and, you know, Grayson hit six threes. Duke went Duke. You know, Gary Trent, uh, another freshman, had a pretty solid game. I think he had 17 points. Um, so you have that. Mo Bamba actually had a pretty solid game for Texas. Him being good is going to be vital for Texas to be a tournament team. And then DeAndre Ayton, it, Trier had like, dude, Trier, what, 36? No, th- th- 32 on 10 of 13 from the field, I think, or, or 11 of 13 from the field. He was awesome. Right, just a Trier player of the year candidate, without a doubt. I actually think if Ayton offensively develops into something that's a statistical monster, uh, him and Trier could have a have a little bit of a battle there. The same way I think Bagley and Grayson could the, wind Yeah, up. they're going to end up splitting votes. I, I, yeah. I actually in that 68 things I'm looking forward to or thinking about heading into the season. I mentioned that the the problem for and it's not really a problem. I mean, I guess it is a problem if you want individual awards. But at Arizona and Duke, Aiton and Trier are both going to be awesome. They're going to split votes and and take points away from each other and whatever. And then same thing at Duke with Allen and, and Bagley. I will say this. Will you allow me to say this for a second? Go ahead, man. It's, listen, I know it's rare for me to let you talk, but I'm going to give it up. <laughs> when we published our All-America teams the other day, I got so many people like tweeting at me or on Facebook, and they said, yo, Alonzo Trier is going to make you look stupid because you don't have him on the first team. Marvin Bagley is going to make you look stupid because you don't have him on the first team. Do you know who actually did have both of them on their first team? Kyle Boone. GP! No, F Kyle Boone. GP did. Well, there it is. But it wasn't. And J- Jalen Brunson. My first team All Americans were Jalen Brunson, yep. Alonzo Trier, Michael Porter Jr., Miles Bridges, and Marvin Bagley. Those were my five first teams. And after one night of the college basketball season, I looked like a genius. Bridges looked awesome, by the way. He looked freaking terrific. Did you see that movie he had behind the back? It was just. Awesome. Yeah, the, on the baseline, the baseline dunk. No, the baseline one was good as well. This one was like crossover into the middle, like put the ball behind his back, use his offhand for no. a finger roll. Yeah, he no, like I, I, I've often compared Bagley's possible sophomore season to what Blake Griffin was in his sophomore season. Different players, I got it, but like, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When when you when you are so awesome as a freshman, and not just awesome like you put up numbers, but you're awesome like you could be a lottery pick because that's what Blake was as a freshman at Oklahoma, and then you come back for that sophomore season, like, you're almost unstoppable. I mean, you just, nobody can deal with you, because you're not supposed to be uh, in college with 37 games under your belt with this type of talent. And so, I I mean, and I, I think you and I, and probably just about everybody else on the same page here, it's why Miles Bridges was the obvious candidate for preseason uh, National Player of the Year. You're right. He looked terrific last night, and I suspect he's going to look something close to that every game going forward. I can't wait. Man, I mean, Champions Classic, and we're going to preview that uh, later on in the, in the, in the week or, or early next week. But, I mean, Bagley and Bridges on the court together? Woo! That's going to be fun. It'll be fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, Aiton looked good. Um, we'll get to the player suspension in just a second, but... The fact that he he was on the floor and really Arizona didn't have anyone not on the floor officially due to any sort of ineligibilities. We've obviously talked about it on that with previous podcasts and in regard to what that could mean. Um, I wanted, since you touched on your All-American teams, let me just quickly uh, get off the off-ramp here and uh, and just tell listeners, I think I teased this on the previous podcast here. So All-American-wise, here's who we have. 
uh, officially, co- collectively at CBSSports.com. This was the writers, some network people. We've got Bridges, we've got Brunson, Devontae Graham, Michael Porter Jr., and Bonzi Colson on the first team. I have no issues with that uh, first team. Why? Second team is Barry, Grayson Allen, Alonzo Trier, Bagley, Ethan Happ, second team. And then third team is Landry Shamit, who looked pretty good, which State absolutely murdered UMKC on Friday night. Jevin Carter. I'm going to get to West Virginia, Texas A&M in just a second. He's on the third team. Trayvon Blewett is on the third team. Angel Delgado and DeAndre Ayton. So those are our three teams. And then me personally, I mentioned my first team since you mentioned yours. I have Bridges. I have Grayson because I think he will. I think Duke will wind up uh, being a two seed at worst. And Grayson Allen is going to lead the team in scoring. So that's why I think he's got a better shot. I have Bagley on the second team. I also have Brunson, who I have winning player of the year over Bridges. I have Devonte, and then I have Angel Delgado because Delgado was almost as statistically good as Caleb Swanigan last season, but Seton Hall wasn't as good as Purdue. I think Seton Hall will be pretty close this season to what Purdue was last season, and I didn't check it yet, but I think Angel Delgado is going to have a double-double in basically every single game, if not every single game, and if he does that and Seton Hall's in the mix for a five-seater better, he's going to have a really damn good case for being a first-team All-American, so that's why I went Delgado first team over Bagley, who I think will be awesome, but it's going to be hard for two Duke guys to be on the first team. Uh, full transparency, I do have Trier on my third team, which could wind up being a huge mistake. But let's also, because given what he did on opening night, let's also totally acknowledge something here, GP. Hmm. Last night, as you said, you know there were a couple of interesting games, a few upsets, not much on the marquee. I mean, it was a, uh, the the problem the sports had, and this will be eliminated to a certain extent next season because the season's going to start on a Tuesday with the Champions Classic, and there are other high-profile games that have already been booked to start on that. But it's a lot of garbage. It's a lot of really good teams playing against a lot of really bad teams. So if these players come out and are awesome, that's great. You're not going against high-level competition. Let's not totally overreact. Sure. Now, the SEC went undefeated last night, and here the team, I mean, the teams, here they play. They played Norfolk State, Alcorn State, the worst team in the Big 12 this season, Iowa State, Austin P with a new coach, Presbyterian with a new coach, Bryant, Utah Valley did look good uh, against Kentucky. Um, Wofford, a down Memphis team, obviously, Alabama State. So great for the SEC to start 13-0, and this should be a a significantly uh, better year for the SEC this season versus last season. But I just wanted to talk about the opening night. Well, well, let's 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 not go go college football here, you know? Let's stop here for a second on the SEC, though, because I thought it it was a good night. Um, I I understand most of it wasn't. Yeah, but, I understand most of those wins meant meant nothing. I got you. But A&M beating West Virginia uh, by 23 points without two um without two key players, that's that's significant. And and that was impressive. And there are some people who have picked A&M to win the SEC and uh, while I'll acknowledge you're exactly right. Nobody should be overreacting to one night of college basketball, but like if you would re- overreact and want to re-rank the SEC, you might put the Aggies uh, at the top. I mean, they were without a lottery pick and their point guard and still absolutely destroyed West Virginia. How you can beat West Virginia without having one of your primary ball handlers, I'll never understand, but that is that is what happened. It is what happened last night. Listen, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Listen, Memphis stinks, all right? They got zero uh, top 150 Uh, prospects on the entire roster like that's literally never been the case in my entire lifetime and I'm 40 years old so they're terrible but Alabama was without Colin Sexton and three of their top five returning scores so like four of their top six four of their top seven players they fouled 20 times in the first half have you ever seen 20 fouls in one half by one team 
One team. Alabama was called for four, uh, 20 fouls in the first half. Like the whole. Okay, so they didn't even have four of their top six or seven players. Then the whole rest of the team was uh, on uh, in foul trouble. They had to play a walk on like 11 minutes, who had barely played in his. And then he like looked better than most of the Memphis players. But like to be in that situation. Uh, and still win by double digits over at least the brand Memphis. I mean, they were still wearing Memphis uniforms. It's not Derrick Rose and Tyreek Evans, Joe Jackson, those guys. But, like, it's still, like, I mean, still they got Memphis uniforms. So uh, that was, I thought, a, a good result for, for Avery Johnson. And, and then um, the other one, I mean, Arkansas smoked Sanford. But what does that mean? I'm with you. But Missouri beating Iowa State by 15 without Michael Porter. Now, yeah. now you and I had spoken on a – recent podcast about Iowa State might take the biggest dip in the country among, you know, uh, Power 7 programs in terms of what you were last year to what you are this year. So Iowa State, probably not supposed to be good. But, I mean, Missouri has been terrible the past few years. They hire Conzo Martin. They get this recruiting class. Michael Porter doesn't even play, and you still beat, let's just let's just label it this way, a Big 12 school by 15 points. That's a pretty impressive result. I don't necessarily think it means that this is the year the SEC finally breaks through, but I do believe this is probably the year the SEC finally breaks through, and there's nothing that happened Friday night that should make anybody change their opinion on that. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, we'll wait and see on the Porter stuff. I don't want to speculate at all. Perhaps this is just a short-term thing, and he'll be good to go within a matter of days. Or perhaps it's not. It's something that lingers for a week or two. That would be unfortunate because, obviously, uh, Porter and Bagley uh, stand above even you know Aiton, Bamba, others, Sexton, uh, most of Kentucky's guys, maybe not Diallo. But they, they're the guys that the freshmen that on a national level from a mainstream uh, standpoint, those are the freshmen that people are just really eager and waiting to see uh, would be unfortunate if, if Porter kind of gets waylaid here a couple of weeks in the season. So hopefully he's going to be okay overall, but yeah, uh, a big night for the sec for them to start like that. We'll see what happens. I do <laughs> my mentions, by the way, I got to bring this up. So I, I put out the, uh, the map last week of the best team in every state. And this is just my projection of what I think every state's best team will be. It's pretty self-explanatory. And so I had St. Bonaventure in New York, and uh, Syracuse fans weren't happy whatsoever. Syracuse opens up against a really bad Cornell team in Roxham. Meanwhile, St. Bonaventure does not have its best player, Jalen Adams, someone who I think is actually one of the 20 most talented players in college basketball. And it loses to Niagara. Who hold I up, think, hold up, hold I was, up. I love Jalen Adams. Hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Twenty of the, One of the 20 most talented? Ta- most talented. Yes. How about 20 best college basketball players? I'll give you that. Most talented? Marquise yeah. Bolden is more talented. No, he's not. All right, no, whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's not. Um, so put so a, I put him in a draft and see what happens. Killing me. Yeah, dude. Put those two on a playground, a pickup game. Jalen Adams kicking Marquise Bolden's ass. Just happening. Sorry. Um, you t- you take Adams off the team. They still probably should have beaten Niagara, but they didn't. But Niagara's actually going to be better than people think. If you read my one to three fifty one, you'd clearly know that. Nobody so did that. Chance. All up in arms. Listen, they're going to shut up when St. Bonaventure beats them in the Dome later this season. So we'll just uh, wait and see what happens. I did get sick of that result. My man Woj, he's a proud St. Bonaventure graduate. So I know he he lives and dies with the Bonnies. Like, he genuinely cares, like, yeah. what happens every game with them. So uh, I'll see them, I think, down at the uh, Emerald Coast Classic over Thanksgiving. So oh. so perhaps... You can tell Jalen Adams he's not good at basketball. That'll, that'll go over That's well. not why. Yeah, I think I just think you misuse. I don't want to be dismissive of Jalen Adams. I love Jalen Adams. I, I hope that's clear. Just I think you misuse the word talented. Okay. 
I don't think I don't think you understand what the word talent is. I do. I do understand what it means. Like anyway. like if you just took Duke's roster and Kentucky's roster and Arizona's roster, you're going to get like 15 more talented players. But than there's, there are different, uh, I guess, phases of talent. Like yes, but like like for example, um, who do I want to use? Like Quade Green, really talented player, but he's not developed talent yet. Jalen Adams is a more talented player right now than Quade Green. I see. I think the problem you're running into here is you don't understand what the word talented means. I, I do. I, do. <laughs> I think you just uh, don't like Jalen Adams. Think St. Bonaventure's terrible. So. That's not true. Hey, uh, Kentucky, because you, yeah. you mentioned Quad Agrin. They, uh, they played last night, and they won, but they were down double digits in the first half. And it's sort of, you know, I did a podcast on thursday with our buddy cal tucker and one of the uh, and they promoted the podcast like this over and over again i was like hey kentucky fans like coming at me i'm like yo we talked about a lot of stuff and i was actually very complimentary Uh, but one of the points i made is like when you are this young uh, almost everything is difficult early and particularly when you get ready to play say a pretty good so-called mid-major team that's got a lot of guys back who have like won games like throwing a bunch of freshmen, even if they're really good freshmen, up up against that early in the season, like that's not simple. And the point I was actually trying to make was like, be careful with Vermont on Sunday. I didn't necessarily mean be careful with Utah Valley on on Friday night, but the 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 larger point I made was I'll be surprised if this Kentucky team, talented as it is, doesn't take a loss in the non-league portion of its schedule that. The fans go, well, why in the world will we lose to them? Like, I don't mean to Kansas in the Champions Classic. I mean to, like, Vermont on Sunday. And, um, you know, Friday night was just a reminder of that. One of the things Kyle uh, pointed out, and I remember this, was, like, second game of the year of of, of John Calipari's uh, first season at at Kentucky. You know, they played Miami, Ohio. It's a team that's got John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe. Guess Patrick Patterson, all those guys, right? And like it took John Wall hitting a buzzer beater to win the game. You know, it, it, unless you are, uh, unless usually, unless you have a mix of like elite freshmen plus experienced guys, you're going to run into some 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 tough situations early. And Kentucky was in one last night. I mean, I never thought they were going to lose. As I'm watching the game unfold, I, I never. I never like sent anybody a text message saying turn it on Kentucky. The Wildcats are about to go down. But, you never sent a text message anyway. But but but, but um, they 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 looked like a bunch of of freshmen. And I do think this, though in in most years they're a bunch of freshmen. Like last year, it was lottery pick De'Aaron Fox, lottery pick Malik Monk, um, and what I know I don't think Bam ended up as a lottery pick, but like a lot of people thought of him that way this time last year. Um, how many lottery picks are on this Kentucky team? Uh, are we are we sure there's one? Maybe Knox, in my opinion. Yeah, I think maybe Knox, maybe See, Diallo. Like, but... Diallo looks solid, so there's the possibility. Um, yeah, but... I'm just saying, like there could, like last night was, I think, evidence that this is not going to be simple. Now, get to mid February, they like they might look like the best team in the country, um, but but getting it going and figuring it out, it's not it's not going to be simple for Cal. Um, the struggle with Utah Valley um, was uh, was some evidence of that, and I won't be surprised if Vermont, like at least, is competitive with them on Sunday. And then, you know, Tuesday you're running into senior Devonte Graham, uh, redshirt sophomore Malik Newman, senior uh, Sui Makaluk. I mean, they they you know Kansas is older, and and that's not simple. I I, I think that's going to be one of those where where 
where it looks like you've got some really talented, experienced college basketball players uh, playing against some guys who, you know, were, were all playing high school basketball last season. Yep, I agree. Um, all right, so we got the news that was expected. Um, DeAnthony Melton, right? Uh, at least expected in, I guess, inner circles, I guess, uh, so to speak. It wasn't totally out there. But DeAnthony Melton had been held out of scrimmages by USC. Jeffrey Carroll has now been sat by Oklahoma State. Uh, what's interesting about Carroll, I guess I can reveal this now, is um, personally, I had when the FBI stuff broke, um, I had no inclination that uh, he would be a, a player of interest. But within 48 hours of that, I had three coaches tell me, I think Jeffrey Carroll got something to go to Oklahoma State. <laughs> So I, you know, I was kind of waiting on seeing if anything happened there, and sure enough, uh, it has. So both these players are going to sit, uh, and I'll also get to Colin Sexton, who is now going to play. But for USC, they don't have a true replacement for Melton. Um, GP wrote about it in his capsule, and I'm glad you got that because uh, it's just an incredible thing uh, that he had had the most, had the best steals, points, rebounds, assists, and blocks averages as a freshman. Of any player at any at any team in Division One over the past 25 years, except the only other player that did it was Dwayne Wade when he's a freshman at Marquette. Right. Uh, he's a really talented player, and I actually think I don't. I, I hope this isn't overstating it, but I truly believe it. Like Anthony Melton, what he does for USC on both ends of the floor, and how he is a uh, valuable step in as a point guard when Jordan's not running the offense. I, I think he is the difference between having him and not in USC getting to the Final Four. So we'll see if they can even get him on the court this season. And then Jeffrey Carroll is a Big 12 first-team caliber kind of player and honestly could be the guy that's the difference between Oklahoma State finishing last or not. Um, so those are, those are big-time uh, sit-downs here. And now we have a situation where the, the four programs that had coaches charged and arrested in this case, three of them have sat. Because Auburn's also, and we've talked about that in previous podcasts, Auburn is also uh, now run into this as well. Arizona's the only program that hasn't. And so given that we saw everyone that played last night, there are two possibilities. One, uh, the person who is going to be indefinitely suspended is currently injured. Or the way that I understand it, if, if the FBI was really in Arizona's backyard and says, we don't want you conducting any sort of investigation right now until we are done and we are not done with you, then Arizona could say, hey, we did not do anything because we had specific instructions from the FBI. I don't think that is overly likely, but I do think that is a possibility we at least have to acknowledge. And then to Colin Sexton, and I'll throw it back to you, GP. Alabama reviewed everything. Clearly, it believes that Sexton and his family did not receive any sort of money to go to Alabama. He's only have to he's just had to sit out the, the Memphis game. He's going to play. He's going to return. That's big time for Bama overall. But if people want to be skeptical of this, I don't I don't fault them whatsoever, because when you step back and just examine everything that's happened here, Alabama did an internal investigation, had a staffer resign, claimed no NCAA violations took place. That thing seemed to be wrapped up in 24 hours. The Sexton stuff gets wrapped up in a matter of 72 hours. Certainly Alabama's capable, if you want to make the case and defend them, of getting these things uh, tidied up in a fast fashion. All I can say is... That is not typically how these things go. They take longer, and usually suspensions last longer than this. But perhaps Colin Sexton's situation is an exception to this. Having him certainly changes the output and the outlook on the tide. The other thing that I think is important to note is that 
you know, when we hear about these players who might be connected to the FBI investigation, we go, uh, okay, DeAnthony Melton, what does that mean for USC? What does that mean for Tony Bland? What does that mean for Andy Enfield? Um, the Jeffrey Carroll thing, like that could touch other campuses because you know when he enrolled at Oklahoma State, right? That was, he, he I believe he's like class of 2000. 13 yeah he uh, 13 or 14 yeah I think, you're yeah, right. I think he's 13 and I think he redshirted as a freshman so like Mike Boynton has got literally nothing to do with Jeffrey Carroll's enrollment at Oklahoma State and uh, my point being uh, Jeffrey Carroll played for has now is now playing for his third different coach at Oklahoma State he was under Travis Ford he was under Brad Underwood and now he's under Mike Boynton um there's a whole lot of uh, assistant coaches who were, uh, uh, you know, on staff at Oklahoma State while Jeffrey Carroll was a player at Oklahoma State. And a lot of these assistant coaches, I don't want to name them because I don't want to incriminate anybody without evidence or even associate them with it to it without evidence. But they're like working at other schools right now. And so I think you and I and most people have long said when somebody asks us the question, where is this thing going next? Um my answer, at least, has always been it could go anywhere, literally anywhere, and it would not surprise me. And the Jeffrey Carroll situation is a great example of that because um, I, I guess I'll just put it this way. To the extent that Jeffrey Carroll or his family might have done something that has jeopardized his eligibility, because let's just use common sense here. Unless somebody connected to Jeffrey Carroll or Jeffrey Carroll did something to jeopardize his eligibility, he playing basketball last night, right? So, like, uh, they're holding him out for, you know, as, as they do a, a review of the program. Well, it's probably got, I don't want to say this with certainty, but I would assume it's got nothing to do with the coaches who are at Oklahoma State right now. But it might have something to do with the coaches who have been at Oklahoma State previously. And, uh, you, you know, if you've got Google, you can figure out who some of those guys are. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I I don't want to say, I, I was going to say it's too bad, and I, I guess it is. I guess it is too bad, but, you know, like, listen, if people did something wrong, there's a price to pay, but but this has been just flipped upside down. You know, I, I a lot of the stuff that uh, folks are accused of, you know, w- when you do those things, you assume that if we get caught, we could be in trouble with the NCAA. You don't assume you could be in, tro- you could be in trouble with the FBI, and so this is a whole new world we're living in. Yeah, it is. Um you know, we wait and see when these next steps will be. Save that podcast for another time because we, the reality is, no one knows what the FBI's timeline is because the FBI's not leaking that stuff. So we don't know when uh, shoes will drop further. I guess pun unintended there, but uh, but yeah, that that added appropriately so to the <laughs> to the overall storylines uh, of opening night, which had you know a few interesting uh, upsets, and then you had you know eligibility eligibility issues and then just other general suspensions uh things off the floor some injury related here and there um i did want to really quickly touch on gp we, we mentioned it early but i didn't want to just uh bypass it altogether you know i spoke over the summer with archie miller and uh he had optimism but just you know i had mentioned like this is going to take a little bit of time here i got to see you know what kind of what kind of roster I got. It's not the same. It's not like the rosters he's had at Dayton. He's entering into a, a totally different situation. And publicly, even on the record, Archie's been plenty, um, 
plenty hesitant to say, you know, this is going to be a, a top half Big Ten team and all this. So he knew what he was going to be walking into. That that said, there's no way he was anticipating his team to be as underwhelming and disappointing as it was on opening night. And it's it's particularly stinging, obviously, to, to get beat by an in-state school that way. It has some shades of Fort Wayne uh, knocking off the Hoosiers last year under Tom Crean. But maybe this was just an, uh, a shot to the leg for Hoosiers fans to just temper the expectations to the point where this team might actually have to fight to get into the NIT this season. It's it's not going to be a bad, bad team. Uh, Archie's a really, really good coach, but he's going to have to recruit his kind of players into the program, make do with the roster he's got this season, and it's just going to take a little a bit of time. But it is Indiana basketball, and for them to lose by the margin that it did to Indiana State. And by the way, an Indiana State team, it's had good seasons here and there in the past. This is a bottom third of the Valley type of team. At least that's what it's expected to be. So that is uh, certainly eyebrow raising. You know, I was in studio last night, CBS Sports Network, with uh, the great Brent Stover, obviously, but also uh, Pete Gillen, who is the all-time winningest coach in Xavier history. I always joke with Pete. I'm like, how long do you think you're going to hold on to that title? He's like, not much. I need Chris Mack to get out of there. <laughs> no, he's joking. He, he loves Chris Mack. And he, he would be happy to lose that record to Chris Mack. But one of the things uh, Pete said, and I, I, I think this is true, he said, you've got to be very careful when you are the big state school and you start playing other schools within your state. Doesn't mean you shouldn't play them because it's a fun game and, and it's fun for the state. But, you know, like Indiana State, yeah, they want to go win their league and go the NCAA term. That's their game last night. Going into Assembly Hall, playing the Hoosiers. You know, because these are, for the most part, uh, I, I shouldn't say for the most part, but I should, I, I feel safe assuming in, in, in some cases, these are kids who always dream to be in Hoosiers, not Sycamores. They want to be Hoosiers. And, you know, for whatever reason, probably that they, they weren't talented enough, at least on the surface, um, they didn't get that opportunity. And so, I mean, you you got to be sharp when you are about to play that game, particularly when you're under a first-year coach, particularly when you are perhaps in a rebuilding uh, situation. And so, yeah, I mean, I was blown away by that. Indiana, as down as as it might be, was still like a 13-point favorite in that game. And so when you lose by 20-plus, a game you were supposed to win, according to the odds makers, by 13, um, that's a that's a rough situation, and, and so I saw somebody last night tweeting, you know, about well, I, I mean, just specific. I'll just it, it was Mark Giannato, who's the beat writer for the University of Memphis, and he was tweeting to Memphis fans. He retweeted the Indiana Indiana State score, and he said, "See, Memphis fans, it could be worse." And I know the point he was making. Like Memphis lost by twelve to Alabama, Indiana lost at home to Indiana State by a million, but. Here's the truth. Indiana's not in a worse spot than Memphis. You know why? Because they've got Archie Miller and because he's already recruiting at a high level. This season might not be great, but Indiana's future is is still – I'd bet on it right now if you'd let me. And so um, I, I understand the frustration if you're an Indiana fan. I wouldn't have been happy watching that last night either. Um, and it, it does seem to indicate that maybe this season is not going to be great. Like you said, they might have to fight to get into the NIT, and that is not normal for – for that basketball program, but um, I, there is literally nothing that happened last night that would make me second guess Archie or the future of that program. They're already recruiting. Um, they'll be great in time. It might take a little time, but they'll be great in time. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be a complicated process, but 
uh, there's now a better, simpler way to do it, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years. And uh, thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, uh, you can get everything you need to get done in just two taps. You want to buy, sell tickets, you can do that in two taps. SeatGeek helps uh, you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's all fully guaranteed. It gets you closer to the action for a great value. Uh, whenever you want to go see your favorite team or artist or or band in person. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and you should too, because it's by far the easiest way to shop for tickets. It allows me to be anywhere in any stadium or arena, and I can do it with just a few taps. And I can find my seats, the ones I want exactly all it takes. I can get it done just a few clicks on my phone. I'm not just a fan of SeatGeek. I'm a customer of SeatGeek. Next time I need tickets, I will use it again. It saves you time. It saves you money because it, search mul- it searches multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals for you. So here's what I need you to do. Go download the SeatGeek app if you don't already have it. And then remember, next time you're going to go to a concert, a game, anything, use it. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, uh, you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So make sure to do that. That's COLLEGEBB. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase at SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Devin Downey, shout out. Before we wrap up, I do want to say the reason I was in studio last night was because CBS Sports Network was carrying um, the Veterans Classic. And it's just an amazing event. We touched on that last podcast. But uh, the, the early game was Alabama's victory over Memphis. The late game was Navy against Pittsburgh. And Navy beat Pittsburgh. And so it's the first time that Navy's ever won one of these games. Now, they played some, some pretty serious competition. Florida one year, Ohio State one year. I can't remember who it was the other was year. Really? Michigan State, maybe? It was Michigan State. That's exactly right. It was Michigan yeah. State the first year. Then I believe Florida. Then I believe Ohio State. And then, um, and then this time Pittsburgh. So they're now 1-3 in the Veterans Classic in their home arena. Uh, good for them. But... It, it is a little bit of a reminder that uh, you know Pittsburgh fans thought the grass could be greener and decided that just going to the NCAA tournament basically every year uh, wasn't good enough. And it should be a lesson for, for all fan bases out there because I get it. Like Once you achieve a certain level of success, you want to achieve more. And if you sort of stall and don't go any further, um, it becomes frustrating. But it's always wise to take a step back look at the big picture and go, okay, I would love to go to the Final Four. We haven't done that yet, but is this pretty good or great relative to our historical standards? And if it is, maybe we should shut up and be um, content and be uh, appreciative of what's happening right now. Because Jamie Dixon went to 11 NCAA tournaments in 13 years at Pitt. 11 in 13 years. And the Pitt fans got tired of it. You know, because they didn't have a Final Four in there. You know, because they weren't ranked second in the country. Cause they, they weren't they, in the Sweet 16s even. Okay, yeah. I understand the frustration. Yeah, but. no, I got it. Yeah. I mean, it was like, whatever. It was, and, and my thing to them was always like, yo, you're Pittsburgh. Like, and I mean that with all due respect, but like, you're Pittsburgh. It's a solid program. It's, but a, it's, it's a solid program. But if you go to 11 tournaments in 13 years, yeah. if you go to 11 tournaments in 13 years, that's good for Pittsburgh. That's good for a lot of programs, like 95% of programs, including Pittsburgh. And so... Uh, they, their frustration leads to, you know, TCU recognizing if we put enough money on the table, maybe we can get Jamie Dixon to, to bounce out of here and don't act like he just left because it was his alma mater because he could have left for his alma mater 
previously and had passed on the opportunity. But this time, TCU decided to invest. The Pitt fans weren't, uh, were no longer satisfied with what was happening. And I think this is very important because people forget it. Because every time I talk about this or write about this, a Pitt fan will email me or text message or, or tweet me and say, no, Je- we didn't fire Jamie. He left. Yes, he left. You lowered his buyout so he could leave. You made it easy for him to leave or easier. If you didn't want Jamie Dixon to leave, you know what your athletic director would have done? Jamie, you have a buyout. If you want to leave, we don't want you to leave. We'll do what we have to do to keep you. But if you want to leave, you will pay the full buyout. That's not what they did. They lowered the buyout. Basically encouraging him to go. Like when somebody, your employer, forget about basketball programs. When your employer makes it easier for you to take another job, that is a sign that your employer no no longer appreciates what you're doing. And so Jamie Tixon goes to TCU, wins the NIT last year, got a borderline top 25 team this year. I think everybody believes they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. And meanwhile, the school that pushed him out the door, uh, they just lost to Navy. Uh, last night in the Veterans Classic and is going to finish, if not at the bottom of the ACC, then, then probably pretty close. And so if, yeah. you're, if you're a fan of another school, another program like Pitt, and you've got a coach who's doing pretty good but still maybe a little frustrated by it, take a step back. Look at what Pitt did. See how that's working out and maybe reconsider. Yeah, I, uh, I think opening night, well, I think we've done a pretty solid job here. Let's just compliment ourselves. <laughs> you can- <laughs> so awesome, right? Uh, I'm not overreacting, but the point I'm making here is that I do think we will get to the end of the season and look back on opening night and say, okay, there were a couple harbingers here of what was to come. And I think Indiana losing will be a harbinger of, listen, this was just a mediocre season. This is the first time the word harbinger has ever been used on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I think so. I'm going to use it a fourth. You ready for this? Yes. Hit. Pitt losing is going to be a harbinger of a bad season, probably an indication that it's going to be the worst team in the ACC. I think that will definitively be the case because also we talk a lot about how young Kentucky is. It is, I believe Pitt is the second or third youngest team in all of college basketball. Um, It's just, it's not going to be a good team. What will be interesting to see is if they are truly awful. Like if they don't, if they are like single digit finish awful, does that mean they get rid of Stallings and totally uh, reboot again? Or do they see whatever they've got coming in and give them another year and see if there's any room for growth there? We'll see. I think that will also depend because what's undeniably going to happen if we get to mid-January and Pitt is struggling and sitting at six wins or whatever, um, there will be discussions in that athletic department about, okay, who do we think is going to be on the market? So if we even want to look at this, who are the coaches we might be able to get? I think that's also going to play a, a pretty big part in it overall. But, yes, obviously be careful what you wish for. And now Jamie Dixon seems to have a team that's going to be uh, flirting with the top 25 season in, season out, and probably top four in that league at worst. GP, before we get out of here, I do want to get to our final four national championship picks. Mm. Check out all these picks on CBSSports.com. And, by the way, like if you're listening to this podcast, caught a little bit of hoops on, on Friday night. You're, you're listening in between some a great Saturday of college football. We're a pretty solid uh, Sunday slate of, uh, of NFL stuff, but you need that college hoops fix before we get to the Champions Classic. Uh, we are overloaded at the site with content right now, um, so it'll get you plenty amped and plenty hyped. But let's do our uh, Final Four and, and title picks here. Um, I personally have Kansas, Nova, Michigan State, and Arizona getting to the Final Four. Those are my... Those will not be my final four when we get to the tournament because I always like to usually get one that's a little – like I never pick all four seeds basically. So um, if two of those teams are two seeds, that might stick with them I guess. But uh, those are my – I guess the teams that I think have the best talent, coaching, 
uh, returning players, all of that. You'll notice I don't have Duke. I don't have Kentucky. I don't have really young teams in there. I'm picking Arizona based on the roster it had playing on Friday night. If you tell me Sean Miller's job is safe, I trust the Arizona Wildcats plenty enough to finally break through. And in fact, I actually have Arizona winning the national championship. My reasoning for that is the combo of not just Trier and Aiton, who are going to be fantastic, but Parker Jackson Cartwright's just... You know how we have these national championship teams, GP, and there's always like that one player who's just not an outright stud, but he just always makes the right kind of play when you need him to. I think Parker Jackson Cartwright will be that kind of player. And then, you know, they have Dusan Ristich returning to have real presence down low. They also have other fantastic young talent. Why not? Take the flyer. I've got Arizona winning it all. I know you have them in your Final Four as well, but who do you have winning it all and the other teams fleshing it out in San Antonio? My Final Four is just the – I don't try to complicate things. My Final Four is the top four teams in the preseason, top 25 and one. So it's Duke, Arizona, Kansas, and Michigan State, uh, four teams that are super talented, four teams uh, that are coached by uh, obviously quality coaches. Three of them are already in the Hall of Fame. That's Mike Krzyzewski, Bill Self. And Tom Izzo. So Duke, national champion. I mean, I, I'm always going to pick the team I had preseason number one to be the national champion. Otherwise, I should have had somebody else preseason number one. My preseason rankings are always um, essentially a prediction of, of, of what I think it's going to look like come March. And so I think Duke's going to be the best team in the country come March. So give me the Blue Devils as national champions. Coach K with a sixth national championship and becoming the first coach, as far as I can tell. I keep saying this. I better look it up to make sure it's true. <laughs> Uh, first coach. I don't think any teams ever won a, a national championship starting four players, starting four I, freshmen. I don't think it. I don't think it's happened. Right. Yeah. I mean, at one, let's clarify that. Like, do you mean in the national championship game or consistently starting? Four I just players? mean like when you look back at the season and you go, they're four. They're yeah. they're they're their most used starting lineup. I don't believe it's. I don't believe one's ever featured four freshmen. I believe that is true as well. If we have a fact checker out there that wants to dispel that, you can. But I mean, I remember looking into this a couple of years ago, and I didn't see anyone that uh, that qualified. And Kentucky did, did Kentucky actually start five last night? I think they did, right? You know what? I don't know who they trotted out for their starting five, but it is if if Wenyan Gabriel didn't start, then the answer is probably yes. Let's look that up real quick so we can avoid the uh, seventy-five tweets of people telling us something that we could have known if we just looked it up for three minutes. Give me one second here. Oh, good. While GP looks that up, I'm going to let listeners know we're going to have a podcast Monday, and then as GP mentioned last week, we are at three a week, and we're going to you know we consider a week what a week is. Starts on Sunday, ends on a Saturday. Uh, we'll generally target, I think we're always going to have a podcast for you Monday morning, every Monday morning, you're going to have a podcast. Then depending on news cycle, ideally probably Wednesday and then maybe Friday. But if results warrant or travel warrants, you'll get that third podcast on Saturday, but we are going to be flexible here. We want to, if we record a podcast on a Monday at 10 AM and it's out to you by 11, but then there's a major story that breaks Monday at 4.30 and it requires us to podcast at 9 o'clock that night to get it out to you. We're going to give you that second podcast. We're not going to have you wait because, honestly, if the news cycle dictates it, why just sit around for an extra 24 hours when we don't need to? Is that enough filler for you, GP? Do it you know? is. Kentucky did start five freshmen. Okay, there we go. So the two or two of uh, the biggest brands in college basketball, they've got ten players starting for them and nine of them are freshmen. So I think both teams can be great. Um, but they will have to be great in spite of some stuff that typically prevents people uh, from being great. So remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. Please do that. It does make a difference, so we would appreciate it. Rate it favorably, please, and then write nice, th- nice things about us. 
or at least me, in Norlander 2 if you got time or you want to, but that part's not that important. The, the first part are right, nice things about me. That is what I'm looking for. Thank you all for listening. Like Norlander said, we're going to be back late Sunday or early Monday. So if you uh, subscribe, you'll get that episode uh, first. And when we will, uh, among other things, uh, preview the Champions Classic because it should be awesome on Tuesday night at the United Center. I'm going to go get maybe a hamburger or something before I catch a flight. Side of Harbinger. And uh, then we'll Side be back. of Harbinger. Okay. <laughs> I like it. And then we'll be back, like I said, Sunday or Monday. Till then, take care.